Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We've been reading in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, last time we read Deuteronomy chapter 16, and that was about the Passover and the feasts and how justice must be administered and be impartial. Now we're ready to read Deuteronomy chapter 17, and this too is about the administration of justice, this whole chapter. Now this is not a big chapter, there are 20 20 verses. So, I am reading in the Amplified Bible. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep with a blemish or any defect, for that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. If there is discovered among you within any of your city gates, which the Lord your God has given you, a man or a woman who does evil in the sight of the Lord your God by transgressing, violating his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the heavenly host, doing these things which I have commanded not to do. And if it is told to you and you hear about it, then you shall investigate thoroughly all the charges. If it is confirmed beyond doubt that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then you shall bring that man or that woman who has done this evil thing to the gates of your city, and you shall stone the man or the woman to death. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of only one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall remove the evil from among you. So I want us to notice a couple of things here. Um, If you'll notice in verse 4, when it says, And if it is told to you and you hear about it, then you shall investigate thoroughly if it is confirmed beyond doubt that this thing has been done. Most translations say if it is true and confirmed or true and established. So the the idea here is that if it is really totally true, in other words, confirmed beyond doubt, meaning that, yes, it is totally true and it can be established and... um confirmed, and that's why God mentions, you know, we need multiple witnesses, not just one witness. So this is the idea that we have in our court that sometimes we've lost sight of, that things need to be true and confirmed and really proven to be true, not just hearsay. Nonetheless, I also want us to notice one other thing. Notice that in verse 7, the hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. In other words, when they go to stone them, the witnesses, the accusers, the witnesses, the ones that are against them, have to be the first ones to throw a stone. This reminds me of going roll, roll all the way forward to the Gospel of John. And it reminds me of when Jesus told this group of men that wanted to stone this woman, said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Think about how hard it would be 
to, I mean, just to even accuse your neighbor and to bring them out and have them judged, that would be difficult enough. But then you have to be the first one. You have to be the first one to start their, to initiate their execution. I think this was intended to be a difficult thing, that it would not be something where people would just willy-nilly, hatefully drag each other out and, and stone each other. I think the idea here was to make it a difficult, a hard, moral choice. And it was to make it less likely that they would stone each other. Did that work out that way? I don't know. I didn't live in those times. It did not sound like it worked out that way. It sounded like at times they had uh, lynchings like we used to have, you know, in the Old West. And, and well, really, really, in, in hundreds of years ago, there were lynchings. And, I mean, I'm not just talking about any one particular type. If someone was thought to be guilty of a crime, it was very easy that, that their neighborhood or their town or whatever could rise up and, and lynch them. And sometimes maybe it wasn't proven. So I think this was meant, the way this is worded, the way God um, explained that this should be done, I think the idea was to prevent those types of rash decisions and, and you just killing your neighbor without evidence. So it was to prevent those types of things from happening. So let's move on. If any case is too difficult for you to judge between one kind of homicide and another, between one kind of lawsuit and another, between one kind of assault and another, being controversial issues in your courts, then you shall arise and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. So you shall come to the Levitical priests or to the judge who is in office at that time, and you shall consult them and they will declare to you the verdict in the case. You shall be careful to act in accordance with all of their instructions. You shall act in accordance with the law which they teach you and the judgment which they tell you. You shall not turn aside from their verdict to the right or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously and insolently by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge, that man shall die. So you shall remove the evil from Israel. Then all the people will hear and be afraid and will not act presumptuously again. Notice what God is saying here. Now, this, is, this goes to what I was talking about as far as lynchings and people acting rashly. Um, this goes right back to that, and God is telling them, no, you shall not act presumptuously and insolently. You shall not be rash and not listen to the priest. You're not going to, if the priest says the person is innocent and should be left alone, you're not going to go against that and go kill that person or, or lynch them or stone them. And if you do, that man shall die. So... The punishment for trying to get someone lynched is death. So that's a good deterrent, right? That way you won't be as liable to act rashly and try to do that and be presumptuous. You can't just assume you know all the facts or that someone is guilty. 
When you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you take possession of it and live there, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall most certainly set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. You shall set a king over you from among your countrymen, brothers. You may not choose a foreigner to rule over you who is not your countryman. Further, he shall not acquire many war horses for himself, nor make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire horses to expand his military power. Since the Lord said to you, you shall never return that way again. He shall not acquire multiple wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away from God, nor for the same reason shall he acquire great amounts of silver and gold. Now, I want us to notice a couple of things here. Now, here God is saying you're going to set yourself up a king. He, he knows this, okay? So he knows this is going to come, and, and it does come later on. Um, but notice what he talks about the kings, and I want you to think about the famous kings we know of. He says you shall not have multiple wives, and he says they shall not have a lot of gold and silver. For, this, for the reason that it will turn their hearts away from God. And yet we know, and I'm not trying to be mean to these people, but we know that David and Solomon both fell into trouble over these things. Both had multiple wives. Now David did not have as much gold and silver as Solomon, so maybe that wasn't so much his issue. But um, lust was, if you remember him and Bathsheba and, and killing her husband to, to have her. These are, you know, these are big sins. These are big ways in which David sinned against the Lord. And Solomon, I forget how many wives, concubines, whatever you want to call them, he had. And then he had a ton of silver and gold. Though I will say that it doesn't seem like he hoarded the silver and gold for himself, but rather was using it in lavish displays. And you could say that's for the nation or for the country. Mm, maybe, maybe. And, and it didn't seem like his problem was so much with money as that his problem was with, uh, again, lust and, and multiple women. So just something to be aware of, that God talked about these things, plainly warned them, well ahead of time, and they still had those same issues. And again, they're a perfect example for us because we are the same way. We have these warnings. We know not to do these things. We know to avoid these things, and yet we still make the same mistakes. Just something to notice and be aware of again. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear and worship the Lord his God with all filled reverence and profound respect, by carefully obeying, keeping foremost in his thoughts, and actively doing all the words of this law, and these statutes, so that his heart will not be lifted up above his countrymen 
by a false sense of self-importance and self-reliance, and that he will not turn away, deviate from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue to reign for a long time in his kingdom in Israel. So this is really important. This was a commandment to keep the king humble and to help him realize who his source was and the laws he was supposed to follow. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. Now, it could be that he would have that written, but nonetheless, he was going to have a copy, his own personal copy of the law on a scroll. Now, it does say for him to write it himself in the presence of the priests. So maybe that would actually happen. If I was one of them, that's how I would take that. But, of course, I'm not. Um, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Notice, this is how we should be with our Bible, right? I'm not saying we should have to write the whole Bible ourselves, though. Actually, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It would help you remember a lot, wouldn't it? But it would. I understand that that would be a, a difficult task for us. But anyway, reading it all the days of our life so that we may learn to fear and worship the Lord, our God, with all-filled reverence and profound respect by carefully obeying. And I've really been looking at obeying lately. You know, part of our faith, faith has to have actions, right? That action, that is obeying. When we have that belief uh, in God, in the Lord, and we act upon that belief in obedience when we're obeying, that is that is our action that is required by believing. When we believe, we will act upon that belief and do what the Lord has said. And think of it this way, a real quick example. Noah believed and trusted God. But belief and trust alone was not what God told him to do, was not what God asked of him. He had to build the ark. He had to take action. So that is the way that our faith is supposed to be. We don't just believe and mentally agree and sit around and not do anything. We have to believe and then act out that belief. And there's so many different ways we have to do that. Um, Some of those ways are just like be baptized, um, train ourselves, read and study the Bible, and then train ourselves to follow what the Lord has told us, be the way he has told us to be. And notice, too, that for the king, this was so that his heart will not be lifted up above his countrymen by a false sense of self-importance and self-reliance so that he will not turn away from the commandment. So this was to keep him humble and not lifting himself up. Well, that does the same for us, just like it would for a king. It does the same for us. It reminds us that we, too, are flawed and that we have work to do. I I know every time that I'm reading and studying the Bible and looking at different things, it reminds me that I still have work to do. I am no better than anyone else. I still have work to do. I still need to do better. And that's that's the idea. We we should always understand that we're all we're all in different we're all following Jesus first. 
then we're all in different places on that path following him. You know, some of us are newer and some of us are older and further down the path. That's okay. We're all in different places, but we have to understand that none of us have fully attained that perfection. So none of us are perfect. We still have work to do. We need to give grace and love and understanding to those who maybe aren't as far along as us. And we need to understand that there are people who are, probably are further along than uh, uh, further along than us and that maybe they know more. And so we need to kind of watch out for that and kind of listen and pay attention. Again, anything anyone tells you, you judge through the Word of God. But nonetheless, don't discount these people who've been living this life for a long time, longer than you. Don't discount them and say, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They may have some issues like we all do, but they may also have some good insight that you don't have. So this has been Deuteronomy chapter 17. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe in everything you do. And remember, God loves you.